Welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring change makers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. as my first guest on the Prosper Project to have Haley Page. So Haley is the owner and founder of the award-winning London-based but globally operating notebook publishing and its various genre-specific imprints, including Emmy Press, which is children's fiction, Astit, am I saying that right? Publishing Classics, Onyx Publishing, which I know really well, which is business nonfiction authored by entrepreneurs and business owners and Black Cherry Publications, which is erotica and adult fiction and Haley Page International, which takes entrepreneurs, coaches, thought leaders, speakers, mompreneurs, and other professionals through the process of planning, writing, and publishing their lead generating nonfiction. Haley has recently penned Entrepreneur Book success, how to attract ideal clients as paying leads while positioning yourself as an authority in your niche and is currently working on a domestic thriller. When she is not busying herself with business expansion in creativity and book publication, she spends her days coaching business owners and entrepreneurs in writing and publishing for the purposes of achieving lead generation and greater authority in their status and niche. When she's not working, Haley spends her days laying stepping stones to allow her lead writers across otherwise difficult to navigate lands and successfully into fantastical worlds of fiction and nonfiction and onto publishing success, surviving predominantly on the cuddles of many humans and feline familiars and never ending streams of espresso. Welcome, Haley Page, to the Prosper Project. I am so honored to have you with me today. Oh, well, thank you so, so much for having me. I'm just honestly so humbled and so just so, so excited to be here and have a conversation with you. So thank you for having me. Gosh, my pleasure. So in transparency to our audience, Haley and I know each other. We've been in a group together. We've met in person and have stayed in touch. And I recently was one of 13 authors who told their entrepreneurial, shared their entrepreneurial journeys in her book, Powerhouse Women, Dream to Succeed. So I'm just really, really excited to have her here. So Haley, I introduced you. Your bio is so, so impressive. But a lot of that has happened in just a few years. So Mm -hmm. I want to dig in in a minute to kind of ask you some questions about that journey and what that, you know, kind of first domino was that kind of put all the other dominoes 
into perspective. But since we're focusing on entrepreneurs through this podcast, trying to help them learn how they can build their brands and market Mm -hmm. their businesses, I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about the type of entrepreneurs that you serve through your lead generating nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So predominantly, we work with, I guess, high achieving female entrepreneurs. And what I mean by that is female entrepreneurs that really just are setting the bar high for themselves and just have really, really huge goals. Because, you know, a lead generating nonfiction is all about kind of taking that next step up-leveling yourself and your business by, yeah, telling your story, showcasing your expertise, talking about what you do for your clients and kind of just really, really showing up for your ideal clients in such a way that really helps to elevate your status and your authority and yeah, help people. So, I mean, predominantly our clients are based in the US, which was never intentional. It's just very organically happened like that. And, you know, I find high achieving female entrepreneurs based in the US to be just the most amazing demographic to work with, to be perfectly honest. It's just my work. It's just not even work because all of the women that I work with are just so driven and motivated and just really beautiful, warm people to work with. So I know I've kind of gone off on a tangent a little bit there, but yeah, I guess they're all just very soul-centered female entrepreneurs as well. And they all just have this bigger why and a bigger mission. So I hope that answers the question. (laughs) It does. It does. That's great. And in case anyone did not catch either my reference to London or Haley's accent to our American listeners, (laughs) can you tell us where you are? Well, at the moment, considering, you know, COVID and everything with, you know, how everything was shifting and moving, At the moment, I'm based in Derbyshire. Our publishing house is still based in London. So that's kind of where our home is. But obviously, everybody kind of had to, you know, start to work remotely and things like that. So, yeah, I'm in the north of England in Derbyshire, which is I'm in the Peak District. So it's just all countryside. It's all so incredibly beautiful. But, you know, as you and I have spoken about previously, we're you know, we're going to go and get some really beautiful offices to kind of get back to normality, I guess, pre-COVID times. So that's really, really exciting. But yeah, right now I'm in the heart of the Peak District and it's honestly just, it's stunning. I'm so, so lucky and so blessed, honestly. That's so great. Yeah, I've seen some of your pictures through social and they are stunning. And it's great to be a creative and have that kind of environment around you Mm -hmm. that inspires you, right? Yeah. And it's, I guess it reminds me as well, it's a really incredible place for me personally to be because when I was 10 years old, I came to this area on a school trip and I fell so in love with this area. So it was always part of my like dream vision for myself. One day I'm going to live there. And it's so crazy to me now that I actually live here. So I still pinch myself. We've been here for about, I think like a year and nine months. And it's that beautiful and that breathtaking. I'm just still pinching myself. And I think my little girl self is, yeah, just still (laughs) so excited. So great. I love that. Yeah. Wow. So you are a publisher and I have Mm -hmm. to just say, publishing is such a mysterious field to so many people. So Mm -hmm. 
tell us a little bit about how you discovered what publishing even was and decided to pursue that as a career. I mean, this goes back to early childhood, really. So, you know, as a lot of people who know me, you know, that they are already more than familiar with my story. But, you know, I had quite a traumatic childhood, really. It was very up and down and I was, you know, very insecure. And I kind of escaped to books from being very, very young. And I had just a really incredible uncle. And, you know, he made no secrets of the fact that I was his favorite. And he used to bring me books. And this particular, it was Christmas 1989. He brought me my first ever hardcover book. And I was that enamored by it and so in love with this book. I just, I thought it was the most beautiful thing ever. So kind of like a child does with a cereal box, I promised myself that I would read every single word of this book. So obviously I came to the copyright page and I read the copyright page. And I think that was the first moment that the penny drops for me that there's actually companies that make books. I don't think I'd ever stopped to think before how they were made. So when I read the publisher's imprint, which was Chancellor Press at that time, I kind of decided that one day I was going to own a publishing house. So I didn't know what that looked like. I was just six years old, but I knew in that moment, and I remember very vividly that entire moment where I was sat and all of that. And that's proven to be kind of like a life-defining moment because, you know, as the years and decades after that passed, I went through a lot of trauma and a lot of really difficult times. And I nearly lost my life in 2011. And that completely just shook my world and kind of allowed me to, I don't know, regain perspective, I guess, rather than living my life on default, I kind of went back to what this vision was as a child that I'd had for my life. And that was, you know, one of those things was opening a publishing house because I'd continued to think about it throughout my life, but I guess I hadn't seriously thought about that, like what that would look like, how I'd make it happen. I was just kind of, yeah, going from one day to the next without any purpose, I suppose. Like I say, just living life on default. So when I did nearly lose my life and then I was lucky enough to be alive and be healthy and start working towards happiness, I just, yeah, made a very conscious decision that opening a publishing house needed to happen now. Yeah, so <laughs> that's that's what I did. I wish I could say it was just, it was a six-year-old epiphany, I guess. Well, what I find so interesting is the first two stories that you've shared are both about being inspired by something as a little girl and then as an adult, not losing that. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of children see a place that they say, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to do this or I'm going to live here, but they don't. So mm-hmm. what do you think that catalyst was? Was it that incident in 2011 that made you decide that the time is now to realize my childhood dreams and let that little girl have the life that she deserves? I think, I mean, I definitely think it was the catalyst. I feel like it shook up my world and just made me look at every single element of my life and question, is my life being lived on purpose, I guess? And pretty much every element of my life wasn't being lived intentionally or with any real thought behind it. We just, I feel like we all keep 
I don't know, just plodding along. And then before you know it, you're so far removed from this life that you'd imagined having. And what I really think is so incredible and beautiful about children is that they, if you ask them, what do they want to be or what are their visions and dreams? They don't have a filter and they haven't, you know, the world hasn't left its mark on them yet. And they're not cynical and their views haven't been tainted and they haven't had a wealth of people telling them that, you know, their dreams are too big. They need to shrink themselves down or anything like that. They have this very clear vision. And to them, it's like a no brainer that it can happen, that everything is possible. And certainly as I was progressing through my life, you know, I had, as you know, I had my eldest daughter when I was very young and notably that was a planned pregnancy. I'd always wanted to be a young mother, but I was listening to people's narrative of how I'd ruined my life because I was a young mother and, oh, Haley, you'd had so much potential and now you're pregnant. And like this horrible negative narrative that really kept me, I felt like a failure, honestly, from being 1920 all the way through till I think probably around 30 because then I was in this domestic violence relationship and I felt like I was a failure but that I was letting myself down like this little girl who'd had so much promise and so much potential and you know the A-star student and the teacher's pet and all of these things I kind of kept going back to her and feeling like I'd let her down. And it was honestly the worst feeling in the world to just constantly think everybody thinks that I've blown it, you know, and everybody was writing me off. And that even now, like that hits me quite hard to think everybody wrote me off because I made this very intentional decision to have my daughter. And she is the best thing, like the best decision I've ever made. So it's kind of funny to me that people dismissed me because I chose to have her when she's so incredible. But yeah, to answer the question, I went back to that vision. So I think there's something really, really powerful about going back to the dreams that you had as a child and revisiting them and asking yourself if it still ignites a spark in you. Or even if it doesn't, to look at the life you're living now and think, how do these two contrast? And would the child I was be proud of this life or would they say oh you know your days are a bit boring or they look unfulfilling or you know however that is I I just really think we have to go back to who we were as kids and very intentionally question where we are now and if it's right does that make sense it's never too late so you know I talk about that a lot you know I was 50 when I started my business right so Mm -hmm. it's never too late if you're still breathing you can make Mm -hmm. your dreams come true. So you were a teen mom and you have no regrets about that. You Mm -hmm. were in a relationship that became very abusive and you've Mm -hmm. spoken about that. When I first met you, you didn't talk about that and you've been very forthcoming about that and you decided to go forward. And now you have been recognized as a top publisher in the UK. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how you went from leaving a very bad relationship with children in tow, because you had more than one child at that point, Yeah, to being a single mom and building this like dynasty, this powerhouse publishing company. Well, it's funny because... These, I guess, hindsight being amazing and everything, I probably wouldn't do things the same now if I went back 
So the beginning of like my journey with this publishing house, what I actually did was sacrificed to the nth degree. And I would never suggest that or advise that. But to be true to my journey, that's what I did. I literally worked 18 hour days. I was 6am until midnight. And, you know, my eldest daughter, she, a lot of her childhood was just seeing me work because I was, my ultimate goal has been to just give my children everything, to give them happiness and security and, you know, keep plowing forward. And I think there's a difference between moving the needle in your business and then this busyness of just feeling like you're busy and feeling like you're moving forward, but actually you're just kind of a slave to your desk. And, you know, you and I know a lot about that with being in the group that we met through that there's no lifestyle balance to that kind of life. And you definitely do need to sacrifice in order to build a business. But that does not mean 18 hour days, not being super present with your children and not having two days off a year, which is what I was doing. So, I mean, that was, that's kind of how that looked to me. But I just, again, it didn't feel like, a compromise or a sacrifice to me at that time because I was so focused on making sure that this happened. So right. I think that's actually that was the key ingredient, not the 18 hour days. It was this, it was the drive to get up every morning and know that I'm making steps towards something. Right. Now I know that you're an introvert. Talk a little bit about how as an introvert, you built your brand, because there's a lot of people listening who are also introverts, and they're not comfortable putting themselves out there. But it's, you know, right, that's the rub, you have to be willing Mm -hmm. to step into the spotlight to some extent, in order to then shine the spotlight on the people you're working with. Yeah, I think I obviously I relate and empathize because I'm still an introvert. I get onto Zoom calls or do interviews or lives and I still quake on the inside a bit, even though I'm very used to it now. But I think it's, you know, it's that whole cliched saying of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because if you stay where you're comfortable, nothing monumental is going to happen. There is going to be no significant shift in the way that your life is. I mean, I think your life will unravel rather than being consciously lived and designed and paved. So I think you have to just be very deliberate about everything. And, you know, if you feel uncomfortable doing lives, if you feel uncomfortable showing your face and I'm terrible for it, I don't let my children take photographs of me. And I definitely had a lot of barriers to break through when it came to showing up in videos, for example, predominantly because of my domestic violence past, I was constantly fearful. But like you said, I think you have to kind of acknowledge that you do a disservice to the people that you want to serve if you're not showing up. So another thing is that you have to, for me with my insecurities, being on camera and the way I look and things like that, that's been like something that's plagued me for a really, really long time. For people listening, because they're not seeing you, that Haley Page is gorgeous, like (laughs) model gorgeous. She's blushing (laughs) right now because we're on Zoom. But the fact that you, I mean, it just shows the extent to which you had to overcome Mm -hmm. the way that you had been kind of taught to feel about yourself. Yeah, I definitely still like, 
not that I carry the wounds or scars with me or anything like that, because I honestly wouldn't change a moment of my past because I feel like a far better person having been through everything. So I just wouldn't change anything at all. But yeah, I was definitely made to feel like, yeah, unattractive and weird looking and all of those things. So I still, I guess I still have those thoughts, but I think it's really, really important to acknowledge that you could be absolutely stunningly beautiful or you could feel like you're the most unattractive person in the world, regardless of whether you are or not. Like, I personally don't believe in looking at somebody's appearances and it's just so, I don't know, like insignificant, I guess. It just really doesn't matter how somebody looks in any way. But if you get caught up in that, you're not going to be focused on what you're delivering and people genuinely aren't looking at your face. They don't care what you're wearing, whether your hair's done, like they don't care about anything like that. People engage with what you're saying and what you're delivering and how you can help them and whether, you know, your moral compass is on point, whether you've got just a really good heart and soul. So I think it's super important to try not to let our insecurities rule us and dictate what we're willing to do. We need to kind of step out of that and think, what is going to serve the people that I want to serve? What's going to help them? And what's going to help my, like the noise I'm making about my business, what's going to help that be even louder? And that does mean showing up on lives and doing interviews and, you know, telling your story, writing blogs, writing articles, just being, like I said, as noisy as possible so that one day, you know, as people say that you can walk into a room and not have to introduce yourself. You just really need to be sharing your message and not holding yourself back because your little girl self or whomever, like a baby when it comes out of the womb, doesn't have these like preconceptions. It doesn't have any kind of negative beliefs or negative thoughts. It believes it can do anything because it can, but then society and other people make you shrink, like we said. So You've got to kind of just try and shake that off and think, even if you borrow somebody else's confidence or faith in you for just 20 minutes and show up live, just hit that live button and send it out there. And that's really what changed the business for you, right? Because you're now a seven figure entrepreneur, which is something that a lot of people aspire to. And Would you say that that was one of the key components is just saying, you know, it's uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I know it's important to my business. Mm -hmm. 100%. I think when I look back at the moments that have really changed the trajectory of this business and then the success it's had, for one, it was consistent action. So Mm -hmm. not feeling like you're not getting anywhere because these tiny little bits and pieces you do, they really do mount up. And I talk about this even with book writing. If you can just put one hour aside a week, so just stop watching one TV program a week in a year. I mean, far earlier than a year, but your book will be written or you can go and sit and watch that TV program. And it's the same in business. You just have to do a little bit, just consistently do a little bit and don't get disheartened by not being where you wanted to be because you're far further along than you thought you would be. So that consistent action is huge. But then, yeah, you've got to just try to shake off the insecurities and start showing up. And I think my biggest moment 
in that regard was doing sales consults, like getting on Zoom. And because it's not enough to try and sell like a high ticket solution to somebody via email or online, you need to show somebody who you are and let them in. And that's kind of when your business does start to scale and achieve consistency because there isn't any selling involved at that point. You are genuinely aligning somebody's problem with the solution that you present. So you just need to just show up and show somebody your heart and soul and how you can help them. So for me, my first ever console, I was literally shaking head to foot at my desk. sweat. And I don't think the lady that I was speaking to, she probably had no idea because I do think I looked composed, but I was honestly shaking. I think I quoted crazy figures at that point to me. Like it just felt like a crazy figure. But then I came off and I was like, if I can do that once, I can do it again. And I guess the rest is history there because I just kept on making myself uncomfortable and showing up in that way. Well, thank goodness you did. I do want you to tell listeners about how you help entrepreneurs really kind of gain that brand authority in the marketplace and get leads. I want to start by saying that you are a hybrid publisher, and I don't know that very many people know what that is. So can you describe what it is for our listeners and why you believe being a hybrid publisher is a better option for entrepreneurs than either traditional or self-publishing. Mm-hmm. So obviously when you're an entrepreneur, I think it's super important to make sure that you stay in your lane, you stay in your zone of genius and everything else gets outsourced. Um, that's kind of like a no-brainer, isn't it? When you're running your business, it's yeah. you know it's this kind of like making a choice between the money that you invest or the time that you invest. So on the one hand, you have to weigh that up first and foremost, but most entrepreneurs know you outsource everything that is not something you know inside out and can do very fluidly and easily. So with that said, hybrid publishing, it's a middle ground between traditional publishing and self-publishing. Now, on the one hand, traditional publishing involves you sending letters. It's called querying. So you would query a publisher. You send them a sample of your work. When they find the time to go over that, they come back to you. Sometimes not. They would come back to you and either reject you or request three chapters of your book. So again, you send that in, you wait for them to come back to you. If they're interested, they might request the full manuscript. And at that point, if they do offer you a publishing contract, we're talking around the two-year mark before you go from that stage through to publication. And notably, that involves compromising on your rights. So they essentially own the book at that point. They take up to 95% of your royalties. But then on the other hand, you have professional publication. You have, you know, great editors, great cover designers, amazing distribution, um, advertising and marketing. So that's traditional in a nutshell. You have like great advantages, but then very significant drawbacks that need to be considered. Then when it comes to self-publishing, again, this whole like time versus money thing needs to be considered because you essentially either have to do all of the cover design yourself, the copy editing, typesetting, proofreading, publication, distribution, and marketing, or you find, you know, different experts that can carry out all of those tasks for you. But essentially people who self-publish tend to think that 
yeah, they'll do it themselves. And in order to do that properly, publishing houses have amazing experts with many, many years of experience and expertise in just one of those elements. So you have highly trained and experienced editors, highly trained and experienced cover designers, and there's no kind of, you know, one person doing everything because, you know, it takes experience and expertise in each of those areas. But when you self-publish, you basically have to either learn all of those things inside out, which takes an awful lot of time, or like I said, outsource them. But the benefit of that is that you retain your rights and you retain your royalties. Now, where hybrid is concerned, you pay one fee to, you pay like an investment to go through the entire publishing process. And then you have a team of experts and professionals that take you through each of those different stages. So the editing, the proofreading, typesetting, cover design, distribution, marketing, all of that stuff. So to me, that's why I created this hybrid model in the first place. We were the first publishers to ever implement this hybrid model where our clients get complete rights and 100% royalties and, you know, that very professional finish. So again, (laughs) long-winded answer, but that's in a nutshell because you get the advantages of both self-publishing and traditional without the drawbacks of querying and sacrificing your, right. your rights and royalties and even sacrificing on the quality of that end product with self-publishing because everybody who knows anything about books can pick up a self-published book and absolutely know it's self-published. Absolutely. I've seen so many and they're very rarely done. A lot of times you open them for the first time and the spine cracks and pages start Mm -hmm. falling out. One thing you said with a publishing house that it can take two years. Mm -hmm. What is the average? If someone says, okay, I'm going to partner with you. We're going to link arms. We're going to publish my book from the time you get a manuscript. And I know it varies to the time that that book is available for sale, what is your average production time? I would say three to four months on average. Obviously, that depends on you know various factors, like you said, predominantly how quickly our client can come back and you know give feedback on cover designs and approve editorial changes, things like that. It's obviously a very collaborative process. But generally speaking, it would be three to four months between yeah, us receiving their complete manuscript and then going to pre-order, which, and to be fair, as soon as our cover design stage is complete, we can actually go to pre-order, which is really incredible. So we've gone to pre-order before now with books that aren't even written yet. Because, oh my gosh. Yeah, because- Who all, knew? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is very common actually in the traditional publishing field wow. because- you know, J.K. Rowling, for example, might say, yeah, I've got a book in the works. I'm thinking on an idea. And provided they've written the blurb, which is, you know, the description on the back of the book, provided they have the blurb and the general premise of the book, they can get the cover designed and then you can go to distribution. So your publication date could be two or three years in the future, but you don't need your book written at all. Yeah, So I have a question. I've heard you say that there's a difference between general nonfiction and lead magnet nonfiction. I'm Mm -hmm. assuming that most people listening to this podcast are interested in writing a book that brings them new clients. So can you talk a little bit about the difference? Yeah. So a nonfiction generally, I mean, you're sharing your expertise kind of without any 
I guess, strategic elements in there. A lead generating nonfiction is very focused on attracting in your ideal clients in the form of readers. So, you know, with things like cover design and the title and subtitle, they need to very clearly attract in who your ideal clients for your business are. So obviously they pick up the book and through you telling your story and you showcasing your expertise, you also need to take your clients on what we call an A to Z transformational journey. So you take one or several pain points that your ideal clients, i.e. readers, are looking to solve and you solve it throughout the course of the book. And straight away, that positions you as an expert in their mind. Because if you get to the end of a book and somebody's thinking, Lorraine is absolutely incredible at this, this, and this, she solved these pain points just in a book. I just need to go and work with her. So you then make sure that you sprinkle in very subtle lead generation. You talk about you know, what your services look like, who your ideal clients are, how you've helped previous clients. So you incorporate like case studies and testimonials and things. And you also disclose how people can work with you. Um, And you do that very, very subtly. You can't, obviously, you don't want to sell to your reader because, yeah, they just won't finish the book. So you want to be very, very subtle about that and genuinely be looking to share value. And then, of course, if you offer something else that's super high value that can be easily incorporated in, such as, you know, a complimentary workbook that people can go and download as they're progressing through your book you're then able to capture your reader's details so that you can nurture them via email, potentially present them you know, with high ticket offers. But more often than not, when somebody comes to the end of the book and they think, you know, Lorraine's absolutely incredible, they seek you out. They want to you know, download everything that you've got available, get onto your mailing list, book into your calendar and ask to work with you because they've already grown to know, like, and trust you. They've built an incredible relationship with you without you knowing anything about it. Like they feel like they know you. They know that you're an expert. And yeah, straight away, people are going onto your list as warm, nurtured leads straight away. And it's kind of mind blowing because when you look at things like Facebook ads, where you're paying for a lead, you know, everybody that buys your book is your ideal client's. And they're paying you for the book. So you're getting your royalty or profit from that sale. So essentially, everybody that buys your book and then goes onto your mailing list, they're paying you to become a lead. So that's awesome. So tell us about, like, give us an example of a success story or two clients who have worked with you to publish their lead generating nonfiction. What are some of the results that you've seen from your clients? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think the predominant metric really for measuring success with it being, you know, high achieving entrepreneurs and it being a lead generating nonfiction, I guess revenue is the key metric there that people would want to know about. So as an example, we had, it was actually another lady that you and I both know from our group. She published with us, I think, probably towards the end of last year. And literally one week after going to publication, she had a $21,000 week just off the back of her book. So that more than paid for her investment in her book. So of course it gave her like the status and authority in her niche just through the book and through being an international bestseller. But she recouped the investment 
And obviously it goes without saying that book continues to sit there in distribution, circulating across the world and attracting in her ideal clients and earning revenue and royalties. So I guess that's, you know, that's one of the biggest ones that I can think of. And obviously all of our publications achieve international bestseller status. So that's, it's absolutely huge for that perceived authority and that trust stamp as well, because if you have two people who are in the same niche and looking to basically offer, you know, a very similar service, the person who's got a book written and who is recognized as an international bestseller will always, you know, appear to have like a greater degree of credibility in their ideal client's mind. So yeah, the international bestseller status is a huge win for our clients. And then I guess another one was somebody who had a book launch, I think in like her first month or two of publication. And she just from that one event, just one evening, recouped half of her investment just from one room full of people. Wow. Yeah, she implemented one of the strategies that we advised at that event. And yeah, half of her investment was back. So yeah, huge, huge wins. So I'm assuming at this point, as people are listening, that they're wondering what it would be like to work with you. So if there are people that, you know, and I'm assuming most entrepreneurs have a book inside of them, it may be in a drawer, partially written, Mm -hmm. but they either can't get started and it's all in their head or they can't get finished. How can you help them? So, I mean, we basically work with entrepreneurs across the entire spectrum. So it could be that somebody's already got their manuscripts written and they're just looking to publish. But like you quite rightly said, a lot of people just don't know where to start and they want to write a book, but some don't even know what that's going to look like and what story they're even going to tell. So people have the option of working one-to-one with myself and my team or going through one of our programs to get the book just really clearly blueprinted, fleshed out, planned, and then published ready. So, you know, we look at working on this transformational journey that I mentioned. So taking your reader from A to Z with, you know, they're here, they've got this pain point. And then by the end of the book, they've, you know, at least resolved a couple of the issues that they have. And, you know, you've positioned yourself as an expert. So we look at just really getting clear on everything that needs to be included in order to take their reader from A to Z, but then for you to like in parallel, take them on your journey as well and position yourself as the expert. So yeah, we do everything from, you know, book planning, blueprinting, all the way through to ghostwriting and publication. So it's like the entire spectrum. So nobody ever needs to feel lost or like they want to write a book, but there's just not the help there for them. We have it all covered. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the front end is amazing what you do. You can ghost write if someone absolutely doesn't want to write their own book, or you can Mm -hmm. guide them through either a program or working with your team one-to-one. But even after they're finished, I think a lot of the magic happens after the book is complete. You make sure that it's you know, as you said, it it achieves bestseller status. It is available, like for our book here in the United States, I was telling people you can get it at Barnes and Noble and Target and Amazon. Of course, you take care of all of that. Your mm-hmm. authors don't do that. You also give it some marketing push as well. So 
There's just mm-hmm. so many components to what you do that it really is a turnkey publishing solution. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. And that's how we phrase it as well. It is a turnkey publishing solution because there isn't anything that you need that we're not incorporating in. And it's really important that you mention, you know, the distribution there and the outlets, because again, whether rightly or wrongly, we know that Amazon is the biggest book retailer in the world, but because they also offer a self-publishing platform, there's definitely a degree of additional credibility when somebody is available through, like you said, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, Chapters Indigo, like all of the key wholesalers, retailers, and distributors versus just Amazon. Right. So, you know, one of the things we say is don't be just another Amazon author because, you know, you can self-publish and be on Amazon, but it's very different to be able to say to people, hey, you can get our book at Walmart and look, it's on the Walmart website, it's on the Target website. And because, yeah, again, it's about up-leveling and making sure that you stand out amongst your competitors And, you know, rightly or wrongly, if you are just on Amazon, arguably, you're not standing out next to somebody who's doing the same thing. So you just want to make sure that you can up level and stand out in, you know, a a very busy, noisy online space. It's super important to acknowledge as well that this isn't just ebook, because again, that's another way that people are looking to really stand out. It's super important to have your book available in like physical copies, whether that's hardcover, paperback, and of course, ebook. But again, to be just ebook on Amazon, you just don't have the same level of credibility as if you were ebook on Amazon and paperback and hardcover and available at all of these outlets. So yeah, I love that you published hardcovers. So the powerhouse women, I mean, it's beautiful, has a beautiful jacket. It's a hardcover. I want to tell my listeners that I'm working with you one-on-one to publish Mm -hmm. my first book on branding. Super excited about that. And I want people to know how they can get in touch with you to learn more, because I'm guessing that as it was for me when I met you a few years ago, that I didn't even know this approach existed, that -hmm. there was a way that you could publish quickly, that you could have a turnkey partner that you could link arms with. And just really take a lot of the angst of publishing Mm -hmm. off your shoulders. So Haley, how can people get in touch with you? So obviously I'm very active on social media, probably too much. (laughs) So people can look me up on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or you can go to our website, onyxpublishing.com and hayleypageinternational.com and contact us through those websites. And you know, if you don't speak to me personally through those websites, I have just the most incredible, beautiful team, honestly. They're all such amazing human beings, each and every one of them. And they're all experts in their own right. So whomever you speak with, you're in safe, incredible hands. But if you do want to speak to me personally, I would say probably Facebook or LinkedIn are your best bets. (laughs) Awesome. That's so great. Haley, I'm totally fangirling right now, but I want to thank (laughs) you from the bottom of my heart for being my first guest on the Prosper Project podcast. And in conclusion, I want you to tell our listeners, you know, when you think about, you know, the Prosper Project, 
by way of definition is that there's not just one way that you can have a life where you feel that you're thriving, where you're prospering. It looks different to different people. Mm -hmm. So as we prepare to leave, can you tell people what that feels like to you, what your life looks like that makes it so wonderful? Oh gosh. I mean, that's, it's a difficult question that I feel like you really know that you're in your elements and prospering when I guess you just, you feel warm and content in your life. However, that looks, I think, like you said, everybody's metric and gauge for success is different and there's no right or wrong. Some people want to achieve millions and other people want time and freedom. For me, I want to be a shining example of what's possible to my children. And I want to be able to like, just run around the garden with them and play with them and have snuggles with them and not say that I've got a deadline like I used to have to say. So to me, I think my goal has always been, of course, financial freedom, but so that I can be with my children and be with my fiance. They're like, that's what makes me feel just like I'm prospering every day because I feel satisfied and yeah, happy. (laughs) That's so great. Haley Page, thank you so much. Everybody check out Haley Page International and Onyx Publishing, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Haley. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, Please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.